BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Scott Schaefer. This hour on Forum, the popularity of pets in the age of COVID-19. Working at home, social distancing, missing friends, family, and co-workers... Many people are adopting pets during the pandemic. It's been the best and in some ways the worst of times for dogs and cats. We'll hear how having your owner home all the time is affecting our furry friends. It's not all belly rubs and treats. We'll hear how the pandemic can be stressful for animals too and how to make the most of it for all concerned. That's all ahead on Forum right after this news. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, welcome to Forum. I'm Scott Schaefer, here this week as KQED begins the search to find a permanent host for the 9 o'clock hour after Michael Krasny's retirement. Mina Kim has been named host of the statewide 10 to 11 o'clock hour. And until we find a permanent new host for the 9 o'clock, we'll be bringing you different voices and perspectives, including mine today. And to close out the week, we're going to be talking about pets in the pandemic. For all kinds of reasons, not the least of which is the need for love and affection, a lot of folks have been adopting pets, especially dogs. In this hour, we're going to be talking about what to look out for if you've adopted a pet and how your own fears and anxieties can rub off on your animals. Joining us are Jennifer Scarlett, president of the San Francisco SPCA. She's also a veterinarian, by the way. Also with us, Sherry Franklin, founder of Muttville Senior Dog Rescue Agency, and Dr. Melissa Bain, Professor of Clinical Animal Behavior at UC Davis School of Veterinary Medicine. Welcome to all of you. Thank you. Good to have you with us. Well, let me begin with you, Jennifer, if I could, and give us the big picture here. Uh, what's been happening generally? Is I assume it's just not my imagination that I see a lot of people walking around with dogs and puppies, and I see dog training classes down at Chrissy Field. I mean, give us the big, the big picture. What, uh, what do the trends look like? Well, the biggest trend is what we're seeing is just an incredible increase in the demand. So for many shelters, the number of adoptions is about the same, but supply is down, which is great for sheltering. Um, but demand is just uh, incredible. So we have folks who are um, you know, applying for adoption, but also going to, to breeders and other sources to, um, to acquire a pet. And, and you're absolutely right. You know, people are looking for connection during this time. 
And uh, when you say the demand is up, has that been consistent over the past year? Did you see it sort of spike at the beginning of the pandemic or has it been pretty consistent? It's been very consistent. Um, you know, we have um, one. Of the, it's interesting because before the pandemic, obviously, people could walk in and look around. And so it's probably a combination of uh, increased demand and also an ability to tally because now it's all digital. We can capture information and, and look at the number of, of people who are interested. But just to give you a, a sense for the San Francisco SPCA, it's um, we receive about 5000 applications per month. Um, and we adopt out about 5,000 animals per year. Wow. And so uh, are, what are you seeing in terms of the applications? I mean, are people just saying, hey, I'm lonely? I mean, are you seeing different uh, sort of reasons for why they want to adopt pets? Um, it's pretty consistent in the reason, and that is, um, is connection. Um, people uh, who have had pets in the past maybe have lost their pet or this is the time where they can acquire a new one, and they just want that, that, they want that bond. And then we have a number of people who it's their first time, but it's the same reason. It's I, I want to experience what it's like to feel this this bond and this love for for another for an animal. And what about for older dogs, Sherry Franklin? Uh, are you seeing uh, an high, either a higher demand or even a higher supply? I mean, sadly, if owners of uh, dogs are dying of COVID, uh, what's happening to their pets? Well, I, I can tell you this. Um, as far as the... Um, people wanting dogs. I just want to give you a stat from our uh, rescue. And I also want to say, um, Jen, uh, Jennifer Scarlett is one of my dear friends and mentors, and I'm just really honored <laughs> to be on the show with her. Um, <laughs> Thank you, Sharon. <laughs> um, we had, last February, pre-COVID, we had 155 adoption applications in one month. And uh, this February, still counting, we have 320. So we have seen no shortage of people wanting to adopt animals at this time. Also, we're having a lot of conversations internally about how many more owner or guardian surrenders we're, uh, we're experiencing, people that, that do need to give up uh, their animal. And we're, we're curious if it's because we're more well-known than we used to be or if it's actually really a, a change um, and but we aren't seeing a difference in what why people are giving up their animals. It, it is usually due to health or death in a family. So um, it, it isn't that uh, we are seeing people just giving up on their dogs. I think more people are actually keeping their animals because they are at home and they do have the time to spend with them. And of course, that leads to your bigger question is, are we crowding our dogs? I mean, do they need some space from us? We've become so needy. <laughs> well, Dr. Bain, <laughs> let me ask you that. Uh, how, how, how does our behavior, our own anxieties and just being around all the time, how does it affect animals? So I think it affects dogs and cats a bit differently. Dogs may appreciate our uh, us being home more frequently as we are now, whereas cats may, may have a different idea. And perhaps owners are interacting with their cats more frequently, not letting them sleep and stressing them out. And same thing with dogs. But I wonder what will happen once our owners go back to work uh, in person and how are dogs gonna react to that? Are they gonna be more likely to have separation anxiety or other issues in the future? And so you're saying, sounds like uh, that you know cats in particular are more more annoyed with us being home than dogs are. Is that right? I think cats are more annoyed generally, but 
Yeah, it's it's hard to say right now. We have a study going on that we're collecting data, looking at cats presenting to our emergency clinic over the past 10 years, including last year in 2020, for being blocked, which is where they can't urinate, which is kind of a hallmark sign, an emergent sign for cats with interstitial cystitis, which is a stress-related disorder. And preliminary evidence looks like they may be overrepresented. We may not uh, we're not certain yet, but it could be that these cats are more stressed out this past year. And Jennifer, as you're uh, sort of completing adoptions at the SBCA, do you give uh, these new parents or uh, sort of different or additional instructions because of the pandemic? We do. Um, a couple of, uh, we have support systems, you know, especially for people who have not had pets before, either online or in person with our counselors. But we also counsel people about, um, you know, the, the demand on the veterinary um, uh, industry at this point and, and really preparing for that. You know, what we've experienced over the last year is um, an, an inability to, to to work at capacity at vet clinics and here in the San Francisco Bay Area sort of being at near capacity uh, to meet the demand anyway. And so just a lot of more less about sort of the, the behavior pieces because overall being with them uh, more is a good thing uh, in most cases especially for the dogs, but it's really planning their their medical care during this time. Yeah. And, and Dr. Bain, given the demand and the relatively uh, low you know, the uh, supply of animals, what are you hearing about where people are getting their, especially like puppies from? Are they going outside the country? Are they going to these so-called puppy mills? I mean, what should people be on the lookout for? You know, first of all, we have to understand why people want these pets. And the, the demand often, like, like Dr. Scarlett said, outstrips what we can supply for them. And when that doesn't happen, they have to go outside Kind of typical places and unfortunately they may be reaching out to unscrupulous breeders or I mean outside the country there are organizations that bring animals in from outside of the country and the pets we're seeing we're seeing some that are quite young in their uh, presentation so I wonder if where they're getting the pets from is, is having an impact on behavior. When you say they're quite young you mean they're too young to be uh, you know being adopted and taken away from their mothers? Well, more so too young that were uh, to be seen in our behavior service. Typically, the, the age of the pets that we see in our behavior service are two to three to four years of age. And we're seeing quite a number of dogs eight to nine months of age. Yeah. And uh, Sherry, I'm wondering, uh, with the senior dogs that you're seeing, um, are, are, are ones that were harder to adopt or, you know, before the pandemic, uh, are, are they more likely to go out the door with someone? Yes, uh, that is such a good point. Um, we had 91 dogs uh, available for adoption on the day that we started sheltering in place. And some of them were long-term harder dogs, dogs with diabetes or dogs that were blind. And literally within the month, not all 91 of them were adopted. And, you know, of course we were getting new dogs in every day. So we had more, but uh, people are are appreciating their animals. And I think that a lot of them during this pandemic may not want to make that really long-term commitment of 15 years and get a puppy, but a lot of them think that an animal in their life is so wonderful. So, you know, senior dogs have become more popular. I, I mean, that's what I'm seeing. It must be a different kind of person, Sherry, I would think, who is willing and able 
uh, to get a senior dog. I mean, it's a really wonderful thing to do, but there could also be costs, uh, you know, close down the road, not too far down the road if they're older in terms of veterinary costs and so on. Well, we see um, what we do at, at Muttville anyway is we do a full nose to tail checkup with our veterinarians and make sure that we uncover anything that is clearly uh, a health issue so that people come go into it knowing. And we really, really talk through this with every single adopter so that they know that there's a commitment there. But you know what? Young dogs get sick too and break legs and you know, some of the things that older dogs might not do because they aren't, you know, running around and being as crazy. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we <laughs> all dogs cost money and we want to make sure that people are in it uh, with the commitment to take care of their animal. And Jennifer, it seems like everywhere you turn, you, you know, you, there's, there's a, a something or other doodle, you know, a labradoodle, a cockadoodle. I mean, are they, <laughs> why have they become so incredibly, I mean, they are adorable. So that's, that could be the answer right there. But wh- why are there so many of those dogs? Well, I think you, I think you nailed it is one is there, um, most of, you know, it's the hybrid vigor, uh, you know, crossing breeds and, and mutts. One is they're, they're adorable. They're a great size. Um, most of them have a terrific temperament. And uh, if I can circle back to the, the puppy mill piece, you know, what we, what we are experiencing is a lot more dogs coming through. And I don't, I can't quantify this as, you know, this is antidotal, but uh, animals being shipped um, by airplanes. And I just want to caution folks, we're not against um, uh, responsible breeding at all and acquiring, you know, a lovely doodle. Uh, the key here is uh, I would just hate for dogs um, and, and cats to live in misery because they're coming from mills. And there's just no way to tell when you buy online and they're delivered by an airplane. Um, and so if you can if you can drive and suss out, you know, that, yes, this is someone who is passionate about the breed and, and responsible, uh, we think that's fantastic. Right. There are still a lot of shelter animals that can be saved, um, even though it's it's more difficult during this time. Yeah. All right. We're going to take a short break and we'll continue our conversation about pets in the pandemic. Give us a call. Tell us about your little critter. 866-733-6786. 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. And welcome back to Forum. Scott Schaefer here this week, and we're talking this hour about pets in the pandemic. They are more popular than ever. Our guests are Jennifer Scarlett, president of the San Francisco SBCA, Jerry Franklin, founder of Muttville, the senior dog rescue agency, and Dr. Melissa Bain, professor of clinical animal behavior at UC Davis's School of Veterinary Medicine. If you'd like to join us, give us a call. It's 866-733-6786. Again, that's 866-733-6786. And my colleague, Marisa Lagos, is uh, reaching out to me on Slack because uh, their dog, Lola, who they got from 
somewhere else. Let's just say that it arrived on an airplane. Um, she wants to know, how can you train your dog to stay alone without crying? <laughs> Dr. Bain, any suggestions? Okay. Dr. Bain? Yeah. Yeah. So how, how do you, how, how do you train a dog to stay home without crying once, you know, if they're home alone or when, you know, eventually, as you said uh, earlier, they are eventually, we're going to go back to work in an office. At least many of us will. Um, so how do you, how do you prepare the animal for that? So when we talk to our clients, we, we hope that they'll be able to leave their pet at least for a walk around the block or a trip to the store so that the dog learns that it's okay to be left alone. And we even want to amp that up a bit so when the owner does leave, even for shorter periods of time, that the dog is left with a very special treat that it never gets any other time. Uh, a peanut butter stuffed Kong, a marrow bone, something that's very special that they only get when the owner's gone. So we hope that they start anticipating that owner's gone means very, very special things. And uh, you do that. How many times do you have to do that before they get the message? <laughs> it depends on how smart oh, the dog yeah. is. Yeah, it, you know, it depends. And, but we also have to understand that dogs with separation anxiety actually suffer from a very severe panic disorder. So we can't uh, think that this is going to cure them all or prevent them all. So we want owners to be very aware that even though these are good recommendations, if their dog is suffering from separation anxiety, that they contact their veterinarian for, for medications and other behavior modifications so that the dog is comfortable. How, when do you recommend medication? Like, is it anti-anxiety medication you're giving giving the animals? Yeah, and, and how we utilize medications is as a tool, a tool to help the behavior modification go more smoothly and usually for owners more quickly. Uh, these dogs are suffering from an emotional disorder. If an animal or a person is too anxious to be able to learn, then the behavior modification is going to go very poorly, owners will be frustrated, and then the dog continues to suffer. All right, let's go to the phones and again, the number to call if you've got questions about your pet or if you're thinking about getting a pet during this pandemic, give us a call at 866-733-6786. Again, that's 866-733-6786. You can also email us. It's forum at kqed.org or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. And let's go first to Oakland and Alex. Welcome. Hi there. How are you guys? Good, good. How are you? I'm good. Well, what's on your mind? <laughs> well, um, I just wanted to bring up a subject. I'm not really sure if it's applicable because it's not really something you can have at home unless you have a good amount of space. But horses have actually become a pretty popular thing um, within the pandemic. It's an outdoor sport. It's something you can do um, within a six-foot proximity of someone because horses are rather large and you can't really be that <laughs> close to them. Um, and it's been a really fun alternative time where um, a sport that was at one point considered a luxury has now become kind of an option for a lot of people who weren't necessarily considering it in the past. And as an instructor, um, it's been really fun getting to acclimate a lot of the more physical activities that kids are missing because they're not in school into our regular riding program. Uh, Dr. Bain, horses? Uh, horses, uh, I love horses. Uh, when I went to vet school, my, my first goal was either to be a dairy practitioner or an equine practitioner, and now I'm doing behavior. So, you know, things change. Uh, so I, I can see the draw of horses, and I can see how exciting it is for people to ride and be engaged in an outdoor activity. My concern is, just like with anything, that, that a bubble will burst. 
And I, I worry, like when we saw with, uh, in the late 2000s, when the financial crisis hit, that a lot of these horses became unwanted and became very difficult to place into, uh, into rescues or find new homes for them. So while we certainly encourage people to investigate everything that they want to do, horses or dogs or reptiles or whatever, that they should be aware of the full long-term commitment that's needed to care for these animals. Does that respond to uh, to your point, Penny? I'm um, sorry, Alex, I'm sorry. The, um, oh, I think that's one of the cool reasons um, being an instructor has been really neat at this point, because we've had the chance to give people some information and some education physically as well as mentally that maybe they wouldn't have necessarily considered even something they were interested in before because it kind of applies to the different parameters that are set right now in the pandemic. All right. Well, thanks for sharing that, Alex. We've got some comments now from some uh, cat fans. Uh, Martha writes, what a dog-centric lot you are. My two cats have been lifesavers during this time, and <laughs> they both seem delighted to have me home 24-7. Uh, and Priscilla writes, please lose the mainstream stereotype of cats. They're not generally annoyed. It's all about how they're treated. Every cat I've ever had has been loving and affectionate and would often follow me around the house or yard just to be social. And I have to say, I have had cats for many, many years. Unfortunately, ours uh, died a few years ago. But Bobbio and Cleo, they would be annoyed with me now if I were saying that, if they heard me. So yes, I, cats are cats are fantastic. But they do, they do, Jennifer, uh, it's a, it is a different kind of companionship. And would, would you say that different people uh, prefer dogs? And are there personality types that prefer one or the other? Oh, there's tons on this. I just want to give a shout out to those listeners for, for standing up for cats. I like to say I'm bi. I, I have two cats and a, and a dog. And um, I love the, you know, I love the similarities and I love the difference. And, you know, you can go down the road of, you know, are cat people more introverted, so forth and whatnot. But I just come back to over and over again. It's about wanting that connection. And, um, and it's about being open to different types of connection. And I think that's the beauty of it. Um, I think for a lot, for many people, it's, um, it, it just is what fits you. And I, I totally enjoy the, the company of both cats and dogs. Sherry, is there not a market for senior cats? Oh, yes. Somebody, please partner with me. I would love that so much. I get a lot of requests for um, help around senior cats. And I, I actually go, I turn to the SPCA for that because the San Francisco SPCA has found homes for plenty of senior cats. So yeah, I Good. Well, that's good. That's good to hear. Now I'm on the defensive about cats. I feel I should say my, my, my little kitty's collars are just like a reach away from where I am right here. I keep them. I keep them close. OK, let's go back. I can't tell yeah. you that a lot of uh, people that have had cats turn to senior dogs because senior dogs are a lot lower maintenance mm. and a walk around the block pleases them as much as going to the beach every day. So, you know, we are getting some we are seeing some crossovers there. All right, let's go back to the phones now. And Kathy in Mountain View, you're next. Hello. Hi, you're on. Go right ahead. Yes, I have a question. I'm so upset about uh, the fact that a lot of French bulldogs are being stolen. People's cars are being broken into. The dog walkers are being attacked. And just yesterday, Lady Gaga had two of her lovely little French bulldogs were stolen. And the, her dog walker was shot. 
and I'm so upset. And Lady Gaga is not even in the country. I can't imagine what she's going through. So his potential... Not, not to mention the dog walker who dog, got shot. Yeah. And, oh, yes. And, um, <laughs> you know, if, if people are interested in adopting dogs, how do they know it wasn't a dog that was stolen? Well, that's a good question. And Lady Gaga, by the way, has issued a half a million dollar reward to get those dogs back. So uh, she, I, I hope, I hope, I hope they also, you know, arrest the guy that shot uh, the dog walker, but that's another matter. Um, what are your thoughts about that, uh, Jennifer? Do you, how do you, uh, you know, check for those things? I mean, if somebody stole a dog, they're not going to just turn it in for free. Presumably they'd want to sell it to somebody, right? Right. This is a, a great reason to get your, your, your dog and cat microchip. And there was actually in San Francisco several months ago, um, a young woman who was, um, she was uh, mugged and her uh, little gray Frenchie stolen from her and has not been returned to my knowledge. Hmm. And so it is something that has also happened locally. But microchipping your pet um, is, a, is a very easy, simple, accessible way. And, you know, it's a permanent way that we can identify the, the animal. Seems like that would be ripe for conspiracy theories. <laughs> the the microchip in the, who, of the CIA <laughs> is going to know where you are now. <laughs> uh, what is it about? Already do. <laughs> what is what is it about French bulldogs? Oh, they're 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 in high demand. They're super cute. I mean, just imagine one. Put one in your head right now. They're adorable, yeah. um, and they're in very very high demand. Yeah. And. Um, that's that's what's driving this. Yeah, my neighbor has one named Cal. I see Cal all the time. Let's go to uh, Penny in Los Altos. Welcome. Thank you. Listen, um, I have a little rescue dog. Uh, she's half Chihuahua and half Pitbull, and that's actually pretty common. Wow. As funny as it sounds, <laughs> yeah, they're called Chippets. They call them Chippets. Wow. Um, <laughs> I know. It's, and, and let me tell you, this dog is so smart. Um, we had to go to, because of her chihuahua barking, 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 we had to go to a reactive dog class at one point. And I learned, you know, dog, going to, to learn about um, a, a dog obedience, it's for the owner. <laughs> it's really not for the dog, basically. I learned how to keep my dog um, at a low um, emotional phase when people are coming where she used to bark i can now give her the command they taught me to give her and she doesn't bark at people anymore and she's a lot less um nervous so it's great really important yeah yeah really important i just wanted to put that out there how not all vets are behaviorists um and so to go to a behaviorist and to take the dog classes and if your dog isn't doing what you want it to do after you've taken the dog class by all means take another class take, take yeah. an, an advanced well, class like i did yeah and can if I, I can add on that what is most important here is to avoid dominance and what's called balance training you want to go to a trainer who is using positive reinforcement because you can amplify those behaviors or amplify stress in your animal so Positive reinforcement is the key to um, good training. And I would love to see a picture of your dog. <laughs> Where should she no, send it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is, uh, that, that's quite a combination there. How do you find a good uh, behaviorist, Dr. Bain? Are there, is there a list or, or, or Jennifer, any, any of you really? But, uh, you know, where would you find one that's reputable and has a, you know, is going to do a good job? So first of all, anybody uh, can call themselves a behaviorist. 
So literally anybody in the world can call himself a behaviorist, except for a veterinarian who's not a veterinary behaviorist. So there are veterinary behaviors who are board certified by the American College of Veterinary Behaviors. We're uh, here at UC Davis, and as well as the San Francisco SBCA has uh, Drs. Berger and Sung, and specially trained uh, education beyond the typical veterinary degree. And then aside from that, for looking for trainers, it is often buyer beware. So we, mm-hmm. like Jennifer said, you want to uh, avoid people who use the term balance training or dominance training, and definitely look for those that are using positive reinforcement techniques. Because if we're focusing on teaching an animal what we want them to do versus instead of focusing on stopping them from doing certain behaviors, it's just like people. You know, you get rewarded for working and, and getting your paycheck and maybe getting a bonus versus having your boss continually saying no, 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 no. So you may get the same outcome. The person does the job or the dog does the behavior, but it goes from instead of having to do it because if they don't, they get punished to wanting to do it because they get rewarded for it. Yeah. We're talking about, go ahead, Jennifer. Um, It's actually Sherry. Sherry, I just want to uh, add on to that, that I've seen an uptick in people asking for board and train uh, referrals. And I'd like to just say that the caller mentioned that it is about the guardian and the person that's on the other end of the leash. And I find that uh, board and trains aren't teaching the actual family any tips about how to take care of their dog. So the dog may be fine at a board and train, but not be okay once the dog gets home. So I think it's really important to train the human. Yes. Absolutely. And, and especially with and especially with the board and train, you, you don't know what techniques they're using away from the owner. And yeah. invariably, the majority of them that are training via board and train are using aversive training techniques. If you're just joining us, we're talking about pets in the pandemic. Give us a call. Maybe tell us how a pet has changed your life in the pandemic. Give us a ring at 866-733-6786. Again, it's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Talking with Dr. Melissa Bain. She's a professor of clinical animal behavior at UC Davis's School of Veterinary Medicine. Sherry Franklin, founder of Muttville Senior Dog Rescue. And Jennifer Scarlett, president of the San Francisco SPCA. Let's go to Steve in San Francisco. Welcome. Hi there. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, I, uh, I've been fostering dogs with my family for the past 10 years, and I highly recommend it for anyone out there thinking about it. So uh, it's a great way to, to have a dog uh, and, uh, and not necessarily uh, commit to ownership. Um, my question is about um, a dog I, I have, a companion I've had for almost 14 years and he's just getting very senior. Um, we took him to the SPCA. They diagnosed, um, neuropathy, they think, um, for his hind legs, his front legs are fairly strong. Still, we have a lot of stairs at my house and I'm just wondering, um, you know, if there's any advice for how we can help him, uh, you know, with, he's really struggling with the stairs and, Mm. and even walking, um, just, you know, what out there, aside from maybe even a sling, what, what I can do to help them along. Yeah. Dr. Bain? First of all, thank you so much for caring so, so deeply for your dog. Uh, your dog is so lucky to have you looking out for his, his physical well-being, as well as, you know, thinking about how you can help him in the future. And, you know, it's really hard to, to identify when 
what is best for an individual animal. But you, we, I, I truly believe that owners know their dogs very well and their cats. They know them. They know their decisions that they need to make. And in conjunction with their veterinarian kind of going forward as to what would be best for that individual pet. Steve, is like, that? Yeah, go ahead. This is Sherry again. I'm sorry. I, we work with a lot of dogs, senior dogs, larger dogs that do have mobility issues. And I have found a few products that really work well um, instead of a sling, sort of a help me up harness, uh, things like that. And even wheels that you could keep at the bottom of your stairs. But I truly believe to keep that dog's quality of life really good, you want to take them out and you want to, we say, they don't need a huge walk, but just a sniffari, uh, something that, that gets them out wandering around, you know, getting some sunlight. And um, if you can get the, I had a hundred pound Akita that I used to help up my stairs. I called it a suitcase. It was really a help me up harness. So even I could care, help him up the stairs and down the stairs. And then um, I think, it, uh, it is a quality of life issue at a certain point, but I do think that mobility can sometimes go when the quality of life is still really high and the dog is still really happy. So um, there are a lot of things that you can um, look at. At mudville.org, we have a resource page um, with things like drag bags and things that you can have in your home that can help a, an older dog uh, maneuver in the house and then down and up and down the stairs. Um, so don't don't give up hope. And swimming therapy is another wonderful thing for back end problems with um, dogs, small and large. All right, Steve, lots of good advice there. Thanks so much and good luck uh, with uh, with your dog. We're going to take a short break and I'll give the number out again if you'd like to join us to talk about pets in the pandemic. 866-733-6786. Again, it's 866-733-6786. Get in touch on Twitter and Facebook if you prefer. We're at KQED Forum, or you can do it the old-fashioned way and email us. It's forum at kqed.org. Scott Schaefer here. For the rest of the hour, we're talking about pets. Stay with us. We've all got those parts of our house where the Internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. And we continue our conversation now about pets in this pandemic and how they're keeping us company. Some things you should keep in mind if you're thinking about adopting a pet. You can give us a call at 866-733-6786. Got a stellar trio of people here you can talk to. Jennifer Scarlett, president of the San Francisco SBCA. Sherry Franklin, founder of Muttville Senior Dog Rescue. And Dr. Melissa Bain, professor of clinical animal behavior at UC Davis's School of Veterinary Medicine. A lot of comments here from listeners. Uh, Rachel writes, what advice would you give to pet owners who have inherited family members' pets after they've passed away from COVID? Is it uh, is the adjustment different given the loss the pet themselves may experience after their original owners have died? Wow, that's a, a big question. Um, I don't know who to put that one to. Maybe Jennifer? Yeah, we... Um 
you know, our experience, we've had quite a bit of experience of um, through the CIDO program of receiving animals who, you know, they're, they're people of past. And generally, not always, but generally these are older pets. Um, and particularly, you know, with older cats, it's really stressful to change their house. Um, and so, and it's particularly stressful going into a shelter, even one as beautiful as ours, but even changing households can be difficult. Um, if you know um, a bit about the pet's routine, that is helpful um, to try to stay on that routine. Um, for cats, we, you know, think about, you know, were they in a household by themselves or are they entering a household with children or dogs? And then, you know, giving them some time and space to accommodate and acclimate to their to their change. But one is patience, um, not pushing it too much, especially with cats, giving them space, making sure that they're just eating and drinking. And eventually, most of the time, they'll they'll start to relax and start to engage. And then trying to stay with that routine as much as you can. But um, it is uh, many animals, you know, they grieve and it just takes time for them to, yeah. to cope with that. Sherry, anything to add to that? I would just agree with that. I feel like many of the dogs that we do get, uh, a lot of the dogs that, that we get do come from homes of people that have passed away or gone into nursing homes, even pre-COVID. And we do see some grieving and we do try and match make that to a person that might actually be grieving. So, you know, that sort of thing, like a seniors for seniors program where you actually find a nice senior to go with the senior dog that, you know, is missing their yeah. person. And also, I uh, like Jennifer said, it just takes some time and don't expect them to just be wagging their tail or rubbing up against you if it was a cat. Uh, right away. So, you know, having the patience. Uh, let me read some listener comments here. Maria writes, what do your guests think about senior citizens adopting puppies? There are three people in my neighborhood who have mobility challenges. When I see them walking a little puppy who has lots of energy, I wonder about them falling and the puppies not getting enough exercise. Some people have adopted puppies because they've lost a dog and have not thought about adopting a senior dog. Jennifer, uh, when you're trying to match puppies with people, is that something you think about? We do. We talk to people about what their expectations are, um, about the personality of, of the in this case, we're talking about dogs, sorry, cat people, um, uh, you know, about the needs of the dogs and try to um, and veer them in the right direction. But, you know, we, in the end, it's about, um, you know, it's about an individual choice. And it could be, and, and this person sounds like they're, they're a wonderful neighbor, they're concerned about other folks, but it may be that they have uh, the means to, to, to have dog walkers come and exercise or other ways that they can engage that animal. But, it is key. I mean, we in our matchmaking, there are many times where we re-divert people to an, a more appropriate fix because, um, you know, puppies are a ton of work. And if you think of puppies, a lot of work at 10 weeks, wait until they're 10 months. So Yeah. And uh, if you are going back to work anytime soon, it's really not a good time, right? And by that, well, I mean, you know, at the office, you know, if you're not going to be home. Well, you know, it all depends, again, on your means. Can you, you know, do, do they have a play group that they can go to or a dog walker? Are, are you, do you work at a pet-friendly place? Because we know that pets can actually increase productivity and more and more we're seeing offices become pet-friendly. So there's just, um, there's a lot of unknowns. Yeah, and a related tweet here from Molly who says, so many families getting COVID puppies. I wonder if they realize that this dog will be with them until the kids are grown and out of the house. 
<laughs> Puppies are adorable, but the time frame is a many years thing, not just when kids are young. And that is certainly true. All right. Let's go back to the phones now. And Milana in San Francisco, you're next. Family's getting COVID puppies. I wonder if they realize. Turn your radio down. I think I hear myself. Oh, hi. Um, <laughs> can you hear me? Yes, we can. Go right ahead. Uh, yeah. So I just wanted to comment on that pandemic puppy aspect of things. You know, our kids have been home on homeschool. I call it screen school. And we got a puppy uh, Australian Shepherd drama for Drama Queen with the idea that maybe she would decrease the drama in our life. Uh, but she's just wonderful from a social emotional standpoint for my daughter who just turned 11 and, you know, really the pandemic fatigue and the forts and the personal hygiene and, you know, uh, all these issues that our children have been suffering from not being in school. Uh, So having a a dog at home to walk, to get out of the house, um, I am taking that challenge on myself because, you know, kids will do contracts and say they're going to walk the dog and do all this (laughs) stuff. (laughs) Then where are they? So, Yeah, so that was sort of my pandemic puppy drama queen story in terms of helping our children get through this. And the responsibility after it is a long-term commitment, so... Yeah, but Jen- Jennifer, that really speaks to uh, why the demand is so high, not just the owners or the, the adults in the household, but the kids. Yeah, and, you know, as Sherry said, there are some folks who, who want a shorter commitment and an older dog, and that is that is beautiful. But, you know, I think the longevity, I'm a puppy person. I, I see them through until they're old, but I love that craziness of a puppy and when they when they look to you and they're like, oh, you're my person. <laughs> um, and that that it does last, hopefully, 12, 14 years. I think that, uh, especially for kids, we've had so many parents either po- fostering or adopting, and it is um, it is a beautiful thing for kids, and, and not only emotionally and helping them through this time of, of stress, but, but also, you know, there are health benefits to having mm. uh, an animal in their lives. You rarely talk to an adult who has, like, bad feelings or memories of their pets as kids, right? <laughs> right. Seems like a pretty universally good thing. Um, All right. Thanks very much, Milana, for the call. Let's go now to Alameda and Max. You're next. Hi. Yeah, I just wanted to call in about the board and train facilities because we actually had a really good experience because we we rescued a pit bull, and six months after we had her, she got really aggressive towards other dogs, and she would growl at people. My wife was nine months pregnant. And we were like, we can't bring a newborn into this house with this dog. And we tried training, we tried treats, we tried everything. But we dropped her off at the board and train facility when my wife went into labor. And two weeks later, they came into our home. They taught us how to do everything. And we have the best dog. Hmm. And we don't, you know. And so I just wanted to put that out there, that it can be a really good resource, especially if you have an aggressive pit bull. Yeah. Otherwise, they're going to be put to sleep. Yeah, that's a tough one to talk about bad reputations, Jennifer. Pit bulls, huh? They they, they put cats to shame. <laughs> they they do. Um they're, you know, it's it is a dog that carries a lot of stigma. And I'm glad that you had a good experience. However, um and Dr. Bain I'm sure can speak to this more. Um what we find in our behavior specialty service is um dogs especially when um when punishment based training methods. And I don't know that punishment base was used at your board facility. So I don't know that I'm, I'm just, I don't, but when we, what we do know is when punishment um, prongs 
Shock collars, choke collars are used when animals have anxiety and especially aggression. Um, it can lead to other other issues, um, either internal issues in the animal or um, behavioral issues. All right, Max, good luck with uh, with you. Sounds like things are going well. Let's hope it uh, stays that way. Here is a listener comment who says, um, now that I'm home, now that I'm home, I hear my dog go bananas when the mail carrier comes to the house. <laughs> Should I get a bark deterrent? Um, no. <laughs> no? Don't. no. What? Because that's just natural and normal. I, I think uh, the dog probably was barking. The owner just never heard it because they weren't yeah. home. Yeah. So, um Again, focusing back on the reasons why dogs are doing this, you know, a bark collar will stop the behavior but not stop the desire. So this dog could be stressed about someone coming onto his property and been very uh, been very effective in the past weeks to months to years in, quote-unquote, chasing the mail carrier away because each time the dog barks, the mail carrier walks away. So we focus on management and trying to block the dog's sight of the mail carrier uh, or passers-by using window film like vinyl clean window film and playing noise to help buffer out the sounds from the outside so that the dogs are less likely to react to the outside world. And then, you know, addressing the reason why they're doing it versus just stopping the behavior. Yeah. All right. Here's a comment from Lori who writes, I started a business named for my cardigan Welsh Corgi just six weeks before the pandemic shut down. I walked to work with my Corgi and she's grown to love hanging out all day at her shop, quote unquote, her shop, meeting and greeting human and dog visitors. It's been a continuing source of joy for this human and her dog to be working together. I encourage all small business owners to continue uh, consider making their space welcoming to dogs as well. And then Matthew writes, my cat has become become super attached to me during COVID as I'm home all the time. He's become very demanding to the extent that he calls me to the bedroom to snuggle every few, uh, <laughs> several times a day. Uh, I mostly love the affection, but fear I'm making him over overly dependent on me. He tends to sit at the window and wait for me to return, I'm told. Wow. Um, there we've, We're trying to change the reputation of cats here this hour, I guess. Uh, and uh, certainly uh, there are cats who are very attached to humans, unlike, uh, you know, sort of the stereotype, right, uh, right, Jennifer? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, depending on the age of his, of his cat, this, um, this owner may want to consider if he's having to, to go back to the office, um, you know, another cat, if he's, if he's a young, playful cat. But yeah, they, they become attached to us. And just to, to uh, continue to move that stereotype along, um, <laughs> we actually have training classes for cats. We have kitten kindergarten. Um, you can, you know, you can do clicker training and, and all kinds of training with cats. So mm. yeah, let's, let's break this stereotype, shall we? Dr. Bain, what about service dogs um, who are, of course, trained to kind of look after and take care of their uh, owner? Um, how, how, how are they doing in the pandemic uh, when they're, you know, their owners are home all the time? Um, I don't know if it's going to be any different for a service dog versus another dog. Uh, and whether the dog is going out with the owner, depending how frequently the owner is going out, but depending and also depending on the service that the dog needs to provide. So if it's a truly trained service dog that is actually providing a service for the person, then I imagine its life hasn't changed very much because if a person has a, a disability, it's going to be in the house as well as outside. And these are going to be different than emotional support dogs, et cetera. So there's various levels of trained, untrained service dogs and emotional support dogs. So um, 
overall, probably not much different for the truly specifically trained service dogs. All right, let's go back to the phones and we'll go up to Fairfield and Caitlin, you're next. Welcome. Hi, um, I just wanted to share um, something that my husband and I did. We actually adopted a hospice dog from the last March. And really we were able to do that because of the pandemic. Um, With my husband and I both working from home, we were able to give Edna the love and care that she needed for the year that we had her. She did pass away this Monday, but we're so grateful for the opportunity that Mozilla provided her to have a really, really awesome last year with us. We got to take her to Tahoe. She saw the ocean. So I'm just very grateful to Muttville. And I also just want other people to know about their hospice program. And if they are working from home for a bit longer, that it's a great time to bring a hospice dog home. Oh, that's, I'm serious, very sorry for your loss, but thank you for doing thank that. You. Sherry, uh, you must uh, hear stories like that from time to time, I imagine. Uh, pretty much every day we are hospice program it's a hospice adoption is really booming and it's interesting to see how many people want this kind of experience and even even families with children um that they have a calling almost to come and give care and give love until there is no quality of life and it's not to be um something it's something that we fully support that we have a full support system i think you know i do believe that Euthanasia is a gift when there is no quality of life left. So I'm not Mm. saying we should prolong any sort of suffering, but a lot of dogs don't even know they're sick. And to be able to offer them this wonderful opportunity, really people write to us all the time about how they felt fulfilled by, by having the experience. So it's not for everybody, but a lot of people really do uh, feel fed from uh, giving an animal that opportunity to enjoy love and life. All right, Caitlin, thanks very much for that call. Here is a com- here's a comment from Guy who writes, what is a pet owner supposed to do when the pet is sick and requires a procedure that costs thousands of dollars? People love their pets and they want to do anything to help them live well, but vets are outrageously expensive, more than human health care, it seems. Um, Jennifer, how does the SPCA deal with that? Well, access to veterinary care and affordability of vet care is is uh, is the emerging, if not the emergent issue. Um, and we have programs, but I just want to make a comment. You know, the the outrageousness is you know it's the cost of goods and it's the cost of education and it's and it is the cost of medicine that you, if you have health insurance, that you don't see. So a couple of things and a pointers to pet owners is one is get pet insurance if you can afford it. Um, there are many companies out there with sliding scales, and um, it, that, that is a huge, huge way to, to um, offset the cost of something catastrophic, certainly. But, um, you know, we are facing, the veterinary industry is facing a massive shortage of veterinarians and veterinary nurses. And so um, we're going to see access to care diminish um, just because even if you can't afford it because of a lack of professionals. At the San Francisco SPCA, we are building out um, a spectrum of care with the vision that everyone in San Francisco, pet guardians, will have access. And that's through our free vaccine clinics, our low-cost uh, community clinics, as well as um, our financial assistance. We have two full-service hospitals the, that operate as social enterprises. So any profits from that go back into subsidized care for people. But 
that that this is just one speck of um, of the issue because nationally um, and certainly in the Bay Area, we are facing a, a huge shortage of veterinary care. Yeah, getting short on time. Let me uh, read a quick comment here from John who writes, we have a three-year-old dog who has become more aggressive toward people. Has dog aggression with nervous dogs become more of an issue during the pandemic? Melissa? I don't know if it's more of an issue. The The cases we see in our, our service now compared to in the in the past has not really changed. Uh, our bread and butter, our aggressive, our dogs displaying aggression or anxiety. So I'm not sure how much more we're going to be seeing this uh, except for just larger numbers because of the larger number of pets that have been adopted and purchased in this past year. We also look at perhaps these dogs that haven't been socialized in this past year because mm-hmm. of COVID. You know, you, you want to take your dog out and, and meet people, but you, you can't, how do you meet people when you stay six feet away from them? So I think it's going to be uh, a challenge to see these dogs in the future and, and helping them with their anxiety and their aggression. Yeah. But when we look at your particular pet, you know, seeking help from a professional would be what we would suggest because there could be many reasons that your dog is displaying these behaviors. Yeah. All right. We're going to leave it right there. Thanks to all of our listeners and uh, callers for great comments and questions. And thanks to all of our guests this hour. Jennifer Scarlett, president of the SBCA in San Francisco. Sherry Franklin, founder of Muttville Senior Dog Rescue. And Dr. Melissa Bain, professor of clinical animal behavior at UC Davis's School of Veterinary Medicine. Thank you all very much. Thanks so much for listening today. Stick around for another hour of Forum with Mina Kim. I'm Scott Schaefer. Have a good weekend. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.